I well remember them. And, oh, never mind. Yeah, I well remember them. My soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For, him, for his compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To those, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Today marks the beginning of a series uh, that actually I read first. It wasn't an original idea to me. It was another pastor's idea. And you know, pastors can learn from one another. It's a good idea. Uh, And maybe together we sharpen one another. And this pastor had done this series and he shared it on Christmas carols. Because you know what? Oddly enough, a whole lot of the Christmas carols tell a whole lot of the Christmas story. But we just sort of sing them every year because we like them. Or in this case, Oh Holy Night, I played the video because every worship leader I've ever known says, please don't make, don't make me lead that song. It's too high and it's too hard to sing. So we make a video do it for us. Uh, so know that we are going to sing it at the end and I hope to belt it out with you all. But the thing is, we'd sing every year, Oh Holy Night. What do you think it meant that that holy night brought forth a new day in Christ Jesus? You ever think about that? The holy night, God became man and made his dwelling among us, was launching a new day, a new hope, a new life in Jesus Christ. So each week I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story of how these carols came to be. And then we're going to dive into the scriptures and see what we learn from them, such as Lamentations chapter 3. Some verses you may have heard, but I, I, I venture a guess that many of us don't spend a whole lot of time reading Lamentations. And I'll even tell you a little bit about why we don't camp out there very often. I'll give you a clue. The name says lament, and we'll look at what that means. But in the midst of lament, look what we find. O holy night! The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine the night when Christ was born. The song, O Holy Night, was actually written in the mid-1800s. Interestingly, there was a parish priest who asked a guy in town, uh, a French merchant and a poet, uh, his name was Placida Capot. He asked, the priest asked Placida, would you write a poem uh, to the verses of Luke chapter 2? Makes sense, you know, a priest would say, hey, you're poetic, you asked this, let me tell you a little bit about this poet that he, he asked to write the poem. Placida was not only not a Christian, but he was kind of known as a hellraiser, a troublemaker. He was not the man you would expect to write, O Holy Night. But that's exactly who the parish priest asked to write the song. He was very far from God, didn't go to church at all, but he was a good poet. And so Placida wrote this poem 
And he loved it so much, he asked his friend, who was also not a Christian, to put the poem to music. And this song became so popular that it ran through the Catholic Church and was played at all sorts of churches until a few years into it when everyone realized the guy that wrote the song and the music, they weren't Christians. You've got to put this song away. Interestingly enough, when God's word is to be testified, you can't shut it up. How amazing is that? But by then, it was too late, and the song was massively popular and has been ever since. It's in movies such as Home Alone. Uh, So by the way, that's a Christmas tradition for many. You gotta watch Home Alone. I'm not sure Kevin McAllister was thinking much about the holy night that gave us hope, but it's a song that continues to testify. And when we think about what Luke might have been writing in Luke chapter 2, and all the way back to what we would have read about in Lamentations, it begins to shape our understanding of the depth of what that holy night means for us 2,000 years on. But see, the story doesn't stop there. It keeps going. And I love that God's story continues on. Five decades later, in 1906, Maybe some of you know what happened famously in 1906. I did not. That's what books are for. A 33-year-old Canadian professor who did what many thought was impossible took out of his own garage a bit and piece here and a bit and piece there and a makeshift generator, plugged in a microphone, and into it broadcast the very first AM broadcast in the history of the world. You know what AM is? Okay, if you don't know what AM, it's called short wa- wait, long, wa- long wave radio. It's the one that is it's a straight line in the frequency, not the wavy FM. Uh, but anyway, 1906, first time a Canadian did it. Amazing. And what happened was he gets on the air. And what does he do first? Well, as he plugs in on Christmas Eve, 1906, He opens his Bible to Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and spoke into the microphone these words. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken out of the entire Roman world. And he went on to read the rest of the Christmas story. Then he took his violin and he played into the microphone and the first song broadcast ever across the airwaves in the history of this world, was O Holy Night. It's amazing the power of a story and of a song. And when you understand it, I'm pretty confident you're probably not going to sing the song the same way. Uh, Years later, uh, in, in the advent of YouTube, the song became very famous for other reasons when there was a video going on of a guy singing it very badly because it is, in fact, known to be a very difficult song to hear. But for us today, what I want us to do is I want us to imagine what life would have been like 2,000 years ago. You see that um, Placida was charged with writing a song based on Luke chapter 2, which is the account of Jesus' birth. He was trying to put himself into a story, but he had no context. So what you think about is here are Joseph and Mary, 
some would say both were teenagers. Most accept that Mary for sure was a teenager. Joseph could have been in his early 20s. Nobody knows for sure. Young couple uh, walking between 80 and 120 miles with a very with child woman. Now, I want to pause here and just give you a mental picture in today's world. If you have been, if you are a woman that has carried a child, what is it like in the third trimester to move? Is it easy? It sure looks difficult to me. Now, praise God, I will never experience that. But it looks uncomfortable. It looks hard. In fact, God told us it will be hard for you ladies, and I'm sorry about that. But it looks difficult. Yet here we find Joseph and Mary going from Bethlehem or going to Bethlehem, carrying the Messiah. And I don't know what you were thinking about it, but it's so much deeper of a scene than we often think about when we see the background with a cute little manger. There's a good chance it was actually a cave. The stable was just a hollowed out cave and they were in there. And as you imagine the smells, I'm not going to tell you what those smells are, but where animals live, they don't always smell pretty. And yet here is where God ordained a holy night to bring a new day through Jesus Christ. Do we think about that? We think about birth in all sorts of contexts. We think about it in the terms of what it would have been like and how wonderful a new life is and how exciting it all is. But I've got to tell you, uh, my youngest, you've heard me tell the story, so I'm going to give you the bullet points. But when my youngest was born seven years ago, almost eight years ago at this point, it was terrifying because in public hospitals, dads don't get to be in there waiting to catch the baby uh, very often. And I didn't. And so I'm sitting out by the uh, elevator, the lift shaft, uh, out in the hallway, and my wife is just in, and we know the baby's coming sometime. And then all of a sudden, at the hospital, I hear this ungodly scream. And I'd been married to my wife at that point for 10 years. Yep. And this was different. This was trouble. This was something else. And all of a sudden, you could see in. There was just little windows that you could see into where she was, or at least the hallway. And I saw more than one doctor. And usually, that's a bad sign when more than one doctor are going. And then I found out some other things. And I finally got to somebody, and I asked, what's going on? And the only word they could speak, because they didn't have time, was problems, trouble. And, I, and then they closed the door. It was terrifying. And yet, out of that difficult circumstance and all that came with it from not sure if what was going on, wondering, is my baby going to die? Is Melissa okay? You know, knowing none of these things to being presented with Eliza Hope Rose and seeing this chunky little kid, we had to put hope in her name. There was no way we couldn't put hope in her name because we weren't sure there was any when she was born. Yet God, through his infinite mercy, brought this picture of hope into our family. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Last week, we talked about anxiousness. And I heard that in some of our community groups, we lamented the fact, well, what, how do I apply that to my life today? Well, 
I bet you you're weary. I bet you there are times when you look around and you see the world in sin and mistakes and error pining. We know that the world seeks sin more than light on its own. We see the stars brightly shining. Maybe if you go out of the city, you'll see more stars, but you get the idea. But then we read these words, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Go ahead and just say out loud for a second, weary world. You know, you sound weary when you say it. You sound tired. You sound like the cares of the world feel heavy upon you. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I don't know all of your stories. But I know this, this artist, this guy that didn't even really understand the story of Jesus, was able to look at Luke chapter 2 and see something beautiful came out of it. I'm able to think of pregnancy, not because I understand it personally, but because I've seen it through my wife three times. And then as I think back to the pain... Mary didn't have miraculous doctors and God became man. That meant the pregnancy was real and hard and the delivery would have been full of screaming and, Joseph, get me more! That's my interpretation. I don't know what she was actually saying, but I'm confident that it wasn't just smooth and, oh, yay, look, there's a baby. Because birth doesn't happen like that. I've been around long enough to know that. But yet... A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder, for just over there, a new and glorious morning is upon us. If you look in your sermon notes, what we've called that is a new day with Christ. The new and glorious morning is a new day in Christ. The thrill of hope, the world The weary world rejoices. You've already seen Lamentations. And as you look at Lamentations, you go back to verses 20 and 21. And I want to give you some background on what's going on in Lamentations. One, Mike, why in the world are you going there? Because it's so powerful when you understand what's happening. Why in the midst of what's going on in the book of Lamentations, we can say anything about it. The thrill of hope. In 586 BC meant something very different. Well, maybe it means a lot to us today. But 586 BC, roughly when this was written, uh, is the context of lamentations. Do you know what the word lament means? It means deep and utter soul crying out, woe. Oh, woe is me. The world is coming to an end. If you're familiar with children's tales. Have you ever seen Winnie the Pooh? Eeyore. You remember Eeyore? Eeyore is amazing at lament. Woe is me. That's the tone of lamentations. It is meant to be a lament specifically for the people of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, the people of Israel, and the world because they have run away from God. It's a common theme of the the minor prophets. But in the midst of that, Jeremiah is lamenting. He's whining. He's hurting along with everybody else because he loves his land. He loves his people. And he's struggling. He knows 
There should be more. And yet in verse 19, right above it, he talks about his own suffering and his own affliction. Read Jeremiah and you see this dude suffered. And as far as we know, not a single person listened and repented during his term as prophet. He had a long tenure, suffered greatly, did some weird things. And yet as far as missions work goes... We don't see a lot of, oh, look, like Jonah, who didn't even want to be a prophet, the whole town of Nineveh repents. Jeremiah is supposed to be speaking to the people of God. Zero, zilch, nada, nothing, nobody. What about us? Will we listen to the voice of God? And that's, what's, that's what Jeremiah is wrestling with in 586 BC. And so in verse 20, I well remember my afflictions. I remember my suffering. I remember this, the sickness, the illness, the, the pain. I remember all that. My soul is downcast within me. Just think in your head, woe is me. You got to remember that. And that's where a lot of us camp out. That's where a lot of us stay. Even in Christ Jesus. The circumstances are so fill in the blank that all I can do is just, woe is me. But God, yet I, I have hope. Jeremiah has been told by God to it utter judgment and lament upon God's chosen people. He must be thinking, if it's going to happen to them, what's going to happen to me? Woe is all of us. And he's saying that. He's crying that out to God. Yet in the middle, right in the smack dab in the middle, because you've got more to go. You've got two and a half more chapters to go. And right in the middle of that, he says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And if you know anything about the prophets, while this is considered a minor prophetic book, Jeremiah was anything but a minor prophet. He had been privileged to think big thoughts about the coming Messiah. And you've got to think that at least in somewhere in his mind, he knows God is going to correct and fix this broken, this disjointed world. And he proclaims, yet in the midst of all of this suffering, I have hope. Can you say that with me this morning? I have hope. Say it again. I have hope. A new day with Christ brings exactly what we need. Actually, I believe, yeah. If you look at verse 24, look at what it says next. And I know I'm skipping around to keep us going uh, because we're going to celebrate the hope that we have. So first we realize in Lamentations 3.20, a new day in Christ gives us hope. And that hope brings us exactly what we need. How do I know that? When you skip down in Lamentations 3, you get to verse 24. Again, Jeremiah is not saying this is all happy-go-lucky right now. He's not saying everything has worked out right now. He's saying this. Verse 24, I say to myself, by the way, what he's saying there? I'm reminding myself. I'm testifying to myself. I'm reminding, Mike, the Lord is my portion. I will wait for him. 
But God, fix it now. But God, do it now. You ever feel that way? The hope that we have is the hope that we know a new day in Christ brings exactly what we need. What is Jeremiah testifying? Here's what he's saying. I can't see everything God's going to do. I don't know how all this is going to turn out. But my portion, my provision, all I need is cared for. A new day in Christ brings us exactly what we need. Do we believe that? That every day with Christ will provide my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory? Now, I want to explain that verse a little bit for you. I didn't put it up on the screen. But remember, this isn't according to my will. When we are told that God shall supply all our needs, it's according to his riches, his glory, and by inference, as you read the whole Bible, his will. And so when we look at this, we realize that God becoming man and making his living among us, John 1 A new day in Christ was bringing the world exactly what it needed. Do we believe that today? Do we believe that holy night gave forth to a new and glorious morning that gives us exactly what we need? Or is Jesus just over here? Remember, we talked about that last week. Is Jesus just over here? I keep saying to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good. I've lost my train of thought, sorry. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Mike, what does it mean to wait quietly? Should I stop praying and just wait? No, 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 no. That's not what it means. It means dependence on him through prayer. Too often we try to run ahead of God because we think we need to know the answer. Have you ever done that? You get so worried by a circumstance, you go ahead and try to fix it up exactly as you want and as you need, and then you realize, oh my goodness, I ran so far, and if I just waited, it would have been fine on its own. I, I told you, my church family, last week that my, my family and I have been called back uh, to, a, to pastor a church in Ohio, and my mind on every moment of every day is so full of details, but I have to wait because there's nothing I can do about them right now, and that's just frustrating. So what did I do on Friday when the call came or when the call was accepted? Well, I had to do something, so it was Black Friday in America, you know, the big sale day. So because I could only control a little bit, I took control of a little bit and bought myself a TV. Because that I could control, right? And so when we get to America in three months, I will have a TV if my dad hasn't taken it from me because it's sitting at his house. But that's what we do. Instead of saying, I will wait patiently on the Lord, I'm like, it's Black Friday, not going to be a better sale. Couldn't possibly be a better one. Got to get that one. It's so much cheaper. And we do that with all parts of our life. But a new day in Christ says, God gives us exactly what we need. I pray that we as a church believe that and live that out. I testify to that. 
My new life in Christ gives me just what I need. He is my portion. He will give me. What does Jesus actually say? He is, I am, get, provide, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is crying out saying, Lord, I'm testifying that you will provide. Thinking back to the wilderness wandering, we in the church like to call it, to the 40 years in the wilderness where the Israelites wandered around complaining about no food and God miraculously makes bread show up every morning. And six times as much as they needed on the, or double their portion on the, the, the Sabbath, before the Sabbath day. And he provided meat because they said, we're tired of manna. And he continued to provide for them. And so when Jesus says, pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're testifying to the Lord. Lord, you'll give us what we need. Our confidence is in you. A new day with Jesus is every day is a new day. You woke up this morning, and I'm not sure the first words out of your mouth, but what if they were, today is a new day in Christ? Yesterday is gone. What if that's how you started your day? Today is a new day. But the verses get better. His mercies are new when? Every morning. You got to wake up. And when you do, his mercies are new. How amazing is that? Not only does a new day in Christ give us exactly what we need, but Lamentations teaches us that a new day with Christ gives us the hope to keep going. Verse 25 says this, the Lord is good to those whose hope in him, to the one who seeks him. Hebrews 10, 23, what should we do? Let us hold unswervingly. You know what unswervingly means? Well, you, you remember watching a toddler learn to walk? They kind of, and you're, you're not sure how they're going to make it. That's swerving. Or if you've seen, and I hope you haven't, but if you've been on the road behind a driver that's sleepy, that's scary. But you've seen them, or just to make sure you understand this concept of swerving, some of you in this room this morning, Okay, now you're with me. You understand, that's kind of the concept of swerving. We're in and out. The writer of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly. If Tracy and Doug are in the back, which they are, and I can make straight eye contact with them, I know that basic math taught me the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So, I will hold steadfastly, unswervingly, straightly to Jesus Christ. My eyes will look to him first. A new day with Christ brings us the hope that following him is the right way to go. That following him is following the one who is faithful. He'll do everything he promised. Sometimes I think we Christians need to go back and read all that God has promised for his people and be reminded that he is God and we are not. And so when we realize that a new day with Christ brings us hope to keep going, we realize all we're doing is continuing to take a next step down the straight line. But Mike, here's the thing. My path has been anything but straight. Well, so is mine. 
I have not been perfect, nor am I now. I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. I will not exalt my sin. I will mourn for my sin as we've talked about the Beatitudes. But at the end of the day, I know that if I have turned to the right or to the left, to the right or to the left, I am invited to repent, to turn around, and to get back to holding unswervingly to the hope that I have in Christ Jesus. You see, there's grace for all of us, even if we haven't walked the straight line. He invites us to come home. Malachi, Hosea, Jonah, all of these books teach that same lesson. Come back. Don't be afraid. Jesus sitting with the woman who'd been caught in adultery. He says, confess your sins and go and sin no more. He sits down with the woman at the well. You've had some men, eh? Confess your sins and then go live a different life. And her whole village was changed. Powerful stories of transformation, of Jesus giving people the hope to, pe- to keep going. I don't know where the quote came from, but I read it recently, and it goes like this. It says, we as a people, we can live for 40 days or so without food. Did you know that? You can physically live 40 days without food. That's, you know, Jesus did it. Others have fasted that long. Uh, now, most people know that we can live eight days or so. Everybody's a little different. Our bodies are amazing. They're God's amazing creation. But we can live eight days or so without water. Most people can live four minutes or so without oxygen. Some less, some more. But this commentator says, but we can only live a few seconds without hope. If you remember January of 2017, every day you opened up the newspaper for about two weeks, you read of a suicide of a student. Some as young as 11 and 9 years old, I believe, were the youngest ones jumping out of windows, drowning themselves, finding ways to end their lives. Why? Because they had lost hope. Because the cares, the pressures, the anxieties of this world had become bigger than they felt like they could handle. Why on earth would a 12-year-old be needing to handle such anxiety? And that's a question I can't easily answer. But as I look and I see the 12-year-olds among us that are sitting right there and now they know they're being looked at, And it's really exciting for me because they're often in my home. And it's exciting because I say, guys, you have hope. And your hope isn't in how amazing you are. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. You're all facing disappointment. You're all facing pressure. And you've got to go back to school tomorrow. And for that, I'm sorry. Okay, one of you says you don't have to go to school tomorrow. But congratulations. And she sticks out her tongue. But here's the thing. May we not let hopelessness consume us. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. The hope that we have is in Jesus Christ. We're told to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Why Because when we know our promise is built on one who never breaks his promise, we know he's faithful. We know our hope is aimed in the right direction. Mike, 
I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't even know how God's going to provide. I feel for you. But our hope is in Jesus, and he's not failed anyone yet. He continues to invite people back to himself. He doesn't promise it's always easy, but he says, I will get you through. And then sometimes he says, Som- it's good to wait. Well, wait quietly for the what? We wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now, that can mean a couple of different things depending on the context you use. Some of you have heard a lot about Jesus, but have not yet invited him and welcomed him into your life. And you know what that means? It's really, really simple. Uh, the, the baptism class told me, how do you know you're a Christian? And I said, well, I like to sum it up really simply, and I don't have this law or this tool. I just use two verses, and they seem to get the job done. You ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who would ever believe in him would not perish, would not die. Let's take the Christianese out of it. Would not die, but have everlasting life. That's eternal. That's forever. And by the way, you physically will die, but we're talking about our soul. Soul lives forever. Your body will be restored. That's another lesson. Okay? So, so what does it mean to be a Christ follower? It starts with belief. And then you can add to that the simple fact that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Last time I checked, the Bible is authority. That means it's true and it's an authority. You want to know Jesus today? Confess with your mouth. Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe you sent Jesus to save me and you will be saved. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. Let's not overcomplicate this. You're part of the family. I think too often we in the church have made it about a whole bunch of other things that are part of the growing process and we've put up such walls and we just need to be willing to welcome people in to believe in Jesus that he brings hope. Because I look out and I see people that need hope. A woman for 12 years suffering with an issue of blood. 12 years with that pain, with that suffering embarrassment, humiliation. In that time, what she was going through would have been awful. Jesus touches her and gives her hope. 38 years, a man unable to walk from the day he was born. Well, obviously nobody can walk when they're born. So there's a couple years in there that he gets by, but no ability to walk. Jesus touches the man and he can walk and he runs jumping out. His hope is in Jesus. I want to read to you the final point. That a new day with Christ, that holy night that brought forth a new and glorious morn, a new day with Christ brings the help that you're seeking. Mike, I don't know where to turn. Well, now you do, and his name is Jesus. The new day in Christ gives us the help that we so desperately seek out. What's that mean? Well, I want to tell you a little bit about it. Lazarus in the New Testament had been dead for four days. So dead that he smelled bad. If you go back, if you ever read the King James Version, the original English text, it said he stinketh. Okay? It meant he was nasty. Four days, everyone had given up hope. Four days... When Mary and Martha look at him, Jesus, why didn't you come sooner? But here's the thing. Waiting patiently on the Lord means Jesus shows up right on time. 
Trusting that our hope is in the Lord says Jesus shows up wait on, right on time. Might not be on our timing, but on his. And what does he do? In one preacher's words, get up, buddy, Lazarus. Time to wake up. Come on, wake up. Lazarus, get up. And he walks out of here. And in one day, Lazarus' life, life was completely different. Do we believe Jesus can do that? Do we believe, I mean, if he's got power over death himself, we're about to remember as we close our service this morning, we're going to close with communion because I don't think you can testify to the hope that Jesus brings without remembering how he brought us to that point. And that's why we're finishing our service with communion. Romans 13, 11 calls us to something as we realize the hope that we're seeking is in Jesus Christ. And it says, well, first Lamentations, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord, for him to provide exactly what we need in exactly the right moment. Paul writes it this way, the hour has come for you to wake up, <laughs> literally for some of you right now maybe, because our salvation, same language that was used all the way back in Lamentations, at this point, almost six to 700 years difference between these, and yet the language of God is still relevant. Wake up from your, salva- your slumber because our salvation is near. God provides. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Is that what that means in Hebrew? It's nearer now than when you first believed. Jesus is coming back. Our hope is in him. The night is over. The new and glorious morn is almost here. Remember, Jesus is returning. So when we sing, O Holy Night, we're declaring not only has he come, but he's coming again to restore a broken world into all things new. He is working. Present and future tense. So what about you? Where does that put you? Do you realize that the night is nearly over and the day is almost here? The darkness is nearly over. The sun will rise again. I don't know what you're going through, but you need to be reminded of that maybe. The darkness is nearly over because the Son of God will rise again. The darkness is nearly over because Jesus is our hope. So whatever you're walking through, I pray that you would seek Jesus. I pray that you would realize the truth of the song, O Holy Night, was testifying to something that I don't believe the author even fully understood he was testifying. That God's mercies through Jesus Christ are new every morning. And it is Jesus that gives us just what we need. A new day in Christ gives us what we need. A new day in Christ gives us the hope to keep going. And maybe you need that today. And a new day in Christ gives you the help you're seeking to press on, taking hold of that for which, get this, Christ Jesus took hold of you. If you don't know Jesus today, you know how to do it. Mike, I believe that Jesus did come to give me hope in life. I believe in him. I confess that I've sinned. Confess means I tell. I've said. I admit. I've sinned. And I believe that he saved me from my sins. 
And then you walk and you seek out others to walk with you on your journey as God transformed you. You're a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Maybe your darkness is different. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus, but your path has kind of gone more like this. And Jesus is inviting you to repent. Okay? Turn. Come back. It's okay. We got this. Come back to me. I'll give you hope, future, plans in Jesus. And so maybe that's what you need today. We're going to train now our attention toward communion. And we're going to do that differently. I'm going to give you time to reflect on those three truths of Lamentations chapter 3. New hope, the new day in Christ Jesus gives us exactly what we need. Do we believe that in our heart, that Jesus is enough? Do we believe in our heart that a new day in Christ gives us the hope to keep going? Wherever you are, will your hope be in Jesus to keep going forward? Even if you don't know how it's going to turn out, you know you're going to seek him. Jesus says, seek me first. And we're going to testify, yes, Lord, today I commit. I am, by the power of your Holy Spirit, going to run to you first, no matter the situation. Third, a new day in Christ. Are we going to trust him for help? Are we going to go ask him for help? Are we going to realize that he is the help we've been seeking and it's in him? He is the one to heal our broken heart, to heal our cluttered mind, to give us purpose in the midst of a dirty and broken world. And I want you to ask those questions to yourselves. Because as we do, we realize what we're taught about remembering what Jesus has done on our behalf. And what is that? Well, in the night he was betrayed, Jesus brought the disciples together. And I'm not sure they really understood exactly what was going on. Would you? If you'd never seen this, and this, this guy that you've been following for three years says, this is my body and holds out a piece of bread. You know, my first thought would have been to poke him. I'd be like, no, that's your body. Would have confused me a little bit. But what was Jesus doing? He was teaching what Jeremiah was professing and testifying to. My portion is Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. I am your daily bread. This body is broken for you. Remember me. Remember that I have provided a way for you to have eternal life. Remember that I will give you all you need. I am your hope. I am your portion forever. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. We use really fancy cups now. It didn't look anything like this, and it had wine in it that was the real thing. But for us, this works. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, please don't be confused. He did not then grab a knife and cut. And I've heard some people believe that said that's what Jesus did. No, he poured some juice, some wine. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. You feel like you're not measuring up? Jesus gave him ver- his very self for you that you might be saved. Remember, accept, confess, believe that you will be saved and you will. And so we remember that our hope is in Jesus, our portion is in Jesus, and our help is in Jesus, and our life is in Jesus. I'm going to invite Lori to come. And I'm going to invite uh, King and Matt this morning to be our servers. And what we're going to do, I'm going to pray in just a moment.
But I want you to think on a new day with Jesus, understanding the truth of what Jeremiah got to testify almost 600 years before Jesus even would have been born. His mercies are new every morning. Today is a new day in Christ Jesus. When we celebrate what he has done, and remember, this is a celebration. For us, this is new life. And we remember what it cost. So here's how it works. I'm going to invite you to reflect on these truths of this morning. And when you're ready, you got three aisles to choose from. Just make a line and come on down. Grab a wafer. We call that the bread. And a cup. Call that the wine or the juice. Hold on to those. And think about this cup, this body broken for you. This blood, the new, this cup, the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do you believe you're free? Do you believe your hope is through Jesus Christ? Think on that. And then when all have been served, this is for anyone that has accepted Jesus, that believes Jesus is the Messiah. All are welcome that know him. When all have been served, we're going to celebrate together and we're going to remember together what he has done. Okay? Let's pray. Lord.